What's up, family? You are tuned into Law and Disorder, a podcast where we expose the cracks in our system, agitate for resistance, and collectively build a new world in which all of us can thrive. This is Resistance in Residence, where we profile artists using their gifts to change the world. This week's feature is Coco Pela, a Bay Area born and raised rapper, vocalist, songwriter, producer, and cultural organizer. Coco, thank you for joining us today. Thank you. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. There's so much I want to talk with you about, but let's start with your roots. I've known you as a poet and musician for almost 20 years, but let's go back even before that. When did you start writing and what kind of resources or support did you get that helped you find yourself artistically? The first thing that started me writing was I got a journal at age 11. And before that, just learning how to read and write in school. (laughs) So I was writing pretty much as soon as I could. I learned the basics of writing. I was like really into it. I had an amazing teacher. Her name was Miss Kwan. And she... She taught at Kalaheo Elementary School, and she was just so um, warm and encouraging. And I would write uh, long stories. Yeah, and that's really how that started. (laughs) But I'm trying to think up as far as songwriting, that pretty much as soon as I could write that, that developed writing raps and and, uh, like singing lyrics. And... The resources, I don't really, I wouldn't say like I had formal resources until maybe I was 14 when I encountered Youth, youth Speaks. And that's when I started getting to, I went to my first uh, slam when I was 14 and saw, you know, incredible iconic artists like Shanaka Hodge and uh, David Diggs and just many, many um, folks from the Bay spit and I was super um, Rakina Bates, just really, really inspired. And then I started attending uh, creative writing workshops and and the resources were just music, musicians, um, hip hop. My father gave me a couple of different like CDs. In the Heights by Buju Bantan and The Miseducation of Lauryn Hill when I was 11, shortly after my auntie gave me my first journal. So I definitely played those albums a lot, you know, back to back to back over and over again and poured over the sounds, the instruments, the singing, the lyrics. And I was I see that as a resource, you know, other artists' music is a resource um, in so many ways, like information and uh, just ideas um, and just sonically, musically. So... I I see that as resource, although it isn't necessarily like a form, formal training. Yeah, and then when I was 14, as I shared, um, I went to my first poetry slam. My sister took me to a poetry slam, and it was amazing. I also had just moved to the Bay from Sacramento and had been popping all around the West Coast and a couple of different other spots in the United States. and um. Yeah, so it was, my mind was super blown. I saw young poets and artists like um, Shanaka Hodge. At that first poetry slam, it was Shanaka Hodge, Rakina Bates, David Diggs. 
um, just like these amazing, brilliant black wordsmiths. And I was like, oh my God, I got to go with my sister and sit on the stage as a judge, but I just was drinking in every moment um, of it. And it was cool because it was also young people. So from there, I did um, begin attending creative writing workshops with Youth Speaks, wherever they were offering them pretty much. And that's probably how you came in contact with me as a poet. But actually, my writing started as like a songwriter and as a a young rapper. And then it was kind of a fun and interesting transition to try to put that songwriting to work, you know, with spoken words. So was there a time that you started to think of yourself as an artist or has that just been a part of your identity forever? That's so interesting. Um, I think that there is a distinct time where I started thinking of myself as an artist. um, But I think that I was creating art starting from a really young age. And I don't think I identified as an artist until I was making, sharing my art publicly. So uh, around 16, I got involved with youth movement records in Oakland and it no longer exists, but I got to cut my first, rap song and cut my first, you know, singing vocals and stuff like that. And so get once my voice was on, you know, a record and my peers were listening to it and judging it and praising or criticizing, I think that's really when I started being like, oh, I exist. You know, I am an artist. I think I was creating the art before, but I, you know, there was no place really to share it. So, yeah. So our artist resistance in residence segment is intended to explore how artists relate to their artistic process while also dealing with and trying to impact our social and political context. Your art, your poetry, your songwriting, your rapping, as far as I've understood, has always really explored and dealt with the intersections of oppression and intersections of organizing work. Can you talk a little bit about the the themes that you talk about and why they're important to you? Well, I think that, and a lot of this goes back to a, um, the influences, my early influences, folks who were writing their own lyrics and they were talking about their own lived experience. So just even just to refer back to Inna Heights or the miseducation of Lauren Hill, like these are both in a way, uh, autobiographical pieces, right? Where there's all this commentary on oppression, on, you know, what the path towards liberation would look like, on like political and social analysis and analyses of, you know, systems of oppression. I think I was just, I wouldn't say mimicking, but like in conversation with those artists, right? I wanted to tell my story too. I wanted to talk about the things that I saw too. Um, And also being African heritage and being raised with a really strong black identity and, and around a lot of like black nationalism, I think so much of being black in the U S for many of us is just, if you are, raised or come to a state of awareness 
where you are proud of being black or you are creating art that is about uplifting and empowering and affirming other black people in our, you know, um, intelligence, beauty and capability and competence, automatically it's it's political just because of the landscape of, of the United States and of anti-black racism and all the different intersections of oppression. And then, of course, like I said, for me as a black or maybe I didn't say it, but for me as a young black girl um, telling my story and trying to find out, like, where do I sit in all of this? I think I, this is why hip hop is such a powerful tool, you know, um, and such a powerful gift because, you know, having these opportunities to speak on these systems of oppression, to share your own analysis to speak on what's going on in the present day and then also to offer, you know, potential solutions or a path forward, you know, out of those systems. And you can ask me again if you feel like I went on a tangent, but. I really appreciated particularly how you started with your experience with your own Black identity um, and connected to other parts of your identity as well. I think that's the value of seeing things intersectionally, which I've always heard in your music. Also, some of your music really, really directly addresses the dynamics of being a woman in our broader culture and in hip hop culture. Specifically, you have music about body image, about being a rapper and a woman, and music addressing misogyny really directly. You also have music specifically about access to abortion and choice. I'm thinking of songs of yours like Mrs. Shoot 'em Down and I Am Jane Roe. Those are two songs that span maybe 10 years of your career. Can you talk about your experience releasing women-centered and, dare I say, feminist hip-hop? Uh, what motivates you on that front, and how does it land in your hip-hop communities? Yeah, I just smiled so big. I think, you know, dare I say feminist hip hop, I'm like, oh, no, like, <laughs> you better put the feminist on it. I'm going to digress, but not really for just a moment, which is to say when I was coming up and really starting to rap out in the open, like I said, I had my rhyme book and was writing songs and rap lyrics starting at a really young age. But when I finally was like, OK, I'm going to do this in public feminist, we were in the part of the women's movement where feminists have become a cliche and a dirty word, something that people, well, I'm not a feminist just because I, you know, just because I stood up for myself or just because I want equal pay or just because I want to have say over my body. I'm not a feminist because it, it, there was such a blowback from opposing forces to the women's movement to kind of inundate us in pop culture with stereotypes and, you know, dramatized kind of versions to scare women out of and girls out of being proud and associating themselves with feminism anyway so feminist was like a really dirty word <laughs> coming up and you know people would be like oh are you a feminist or something if you said anything about being a woman and or ever interrupted or took a stand against sexism and male domination so I actually love saying, yes, like I'm a feminist and I'm, I'm a black feminist. And this, you know, I, sometimes when I go into the studio with these producers and they make amazing beats and they're hard hitting beats. And oftentimes it's like different, different versions, like 
drill or trap and and then they'll give me a beat and it's like some flowery little and I'm like what the hell I'm like nah what I want is some like booty shaking music and and then I'm gonna write some, some and I say some black feminist hip-hop we gonna put you know mix it up so I think that's actually the perfect thing to say and we'll I know we're gonna get into this later but you know the latest project that I dropped which is the first of three EPs um, it's called Confessions of a Black Feminist Rapper. So anyway, I know you know that. We'll get back to it. But I love and have survived by listening to the music. It's just where I've always been like passionate about, like, was I'm going to sing this song or whether it was I'm going to rap this, you know, verse or whatever. I've just always been real passionate about that. And there's so many that came before me so many black women that came before me, but I think to, to be, I'm going to go back to what I said before, but to be black and to be um, a woman and to speak about your life and yourself and other black women in a, in a way that affirms your and other black women's lives and power and brilliance and capability. It's automatically, again, it's just going to be, in my mind, it ends up being black feminist music or perspective or analysis. One other thing I want to touch on. So we, we've talked some about the different types of content that you include in your music and in some of the poetry that you've done. Let's reach back out for a second and talk about the relationship, not only in the content of your music, but also in relationship to activism. You've been an active person politically uh, in in addition to the content in your music. Can you talk a little bit about that side of your experience? I came officially politicized, quote unquote, when I was 16. I attended a five-day workshop. Um, it's a global liberation project for African heritage people. There were folks from all over the world, from the Netherlands, from Curacao, from from Puerto Rico. There were African heritage folks from all the corners of the world where African heritage folks could be. Um, and that community is a community that I've been working with, learning, getting to like sit at the feet of scissors and activists. That's where a lot of my work started is like really learning a community building and community community development in the context of of our liberation. So looking at where we've come from, what issues um, and challenges are impacting us now, what of those issues like internalized racism and colorism and classism and sexism and the way that men act out male dominance within the group against one another. Like we got to look at those um, all those issues as African heritage people internationally as as a diaspora and folks from the continent. So I would say like a lot of my work started with the community building and using the practice of like listening and sharing and um, reflecting upon the ways that those systems of oppression really impact us individually and like emotionally, right? And so getting to use that like deep listening in combination with 
being with all these folks who are doing that reflective healing work and then gathering together and thinking and brainstorming about a way forward and and also looking at what has happened in the last year to Black people across the world and how is this connected to the systems of oppression and what can we do both individually and as a collective to move forward Black liberation. And now as we see it and as we're really like addressing um, or and attempting to address the U.S. and Western dominance. How, how, what's the way forward for Black and African folks of the diaspora? So, like that's that's one of the pieces. And then, art for me is inherently activism. And I know it's not the case with everyone. And I I think there's so many different ways to come at it. I'll just say this one side note. I was thinking actually a couple of days ago about Cardi B and when during the the last elections when she started having different conversations with folks and when she was had the conversation with Bernie Sanders and different moments where she's like stepped in and expressed different like thoughts, opinions, or just even encouraged folks to vote and engage. And I've thought so much about how oftentimes there's like this imaginary, uh, I don't know if it would be like a binary, but like a line in the sand that gets drawn by people where they talk about like conscious versus mainstream music. Um, But I think that there's like so many different ways to come at it. And people might put me, I think that people do put me in the area of like, oh, you're a conscious rapper. You talk about like the community and oppression and liberation and like this person over here, you know, Cardi, she's like a mainstream rapper and she talks about getting her bag and looking fine and snatching her man up and this, that, and the third. But I really don't see that line in the sand. I think that people, there's just different strategies towards liberation and different ways to use use your platform. So to to me, again, I um, I don't really see the separation between arts and activism because at every march, you have a chant. A chant could be a rap. It's call and response. You have, oftentimes you have music, you have singing. This goes back to like all resistance movements back through history at a lot of protests, at a lot of um, gatherings. Artists are invited out to sing, to rap, to spit their poetry, to create murals, you know, um, to dance. So uh, I think that's also where the cultural organizing work was born out of is being an artist, being a young person in the Bay Area and getting invited to these these events to to share art that's relevant, right, to what folks were attempting to address. And then um, as I got older, wanting to learn more about how folks within the community were actually organizing and strategizing around different issues. Like, for example, um, you spoke earlier about reproductive justice, abortion access. And, um, you know, there was a period of time a year or so where I worked with Youth Versus Apocalypse. And part of the choice to work there was I really wanted to be deeply rooted in the climate movement and learn more about climate justice and also, you know, climate change and wanted my music to speak on and address it because I didn't hear anyone anywhere in hip hop talking about it. It's kind of like now it's like a little bit trendy and and more like buzz, like a buzzword or a buzz topic. But at the time it wasn't happening and it. And I was like, I don't even know 
a lot about this, you know, but I, I feel like I have a platform and I want to be speaking on it, but I don't know enough about it. And in hip hop, you know, we talk about speaking on what you know, and I'm like, well, shoot, let me get grounded in the movement and really see what folks are talking about, how they're organizing, how these systems of oppression are intersecting and, and then speak on it from there. So I think that there are two, two different pieces that have kind of fed each other. Right. So like in, in my movement work, in the community, sitting, like I said, at the feet of different leaders and organizers and learning from them and learning about listening to their political and social analyses and then absorbing that and kind of chewing on what I think about that and how that impacts me as a mixed heritage, African heritage, you know, Black woman, then girl, you know, and then putting that in the music and then also using the music to amplify the messages that that are coming out of the movement that need more attention um, because it's way easier to hear some of these messages and to put our attention on some of the scarier, challenging, or hard to digest pieces of our reality or issues, you know? And so some, so I feel like they kind of feed one another. You are listening to Resistance in Residence on Law and Disorder. I'm Jesse Strauss in conversation with rapper, producer, and cultural organizer Coco Pela. Coco, Thank you so much for that insight. Let's bring the conversation back around to your more current music. Um, you mentioned earlier that you just released the first of three pieces of a project called Confessions of a Black Feminist Rapper. Could you tell us about those projects and and uh, where folks can find them? Yeah, they're available everywhere. Um, the best place to buy Confessions of a Black Feminist Rapper Part 3, Elevate. Y'all, the folks who know me know I'm always naming my projects these super long, like, run-on sentences. That's just who I am. And now you, you will never wonder, like, what is this project about? Because I'm going to tell you in a long run-on sentence with some punctuation that is probably <laughs> used in a different way than it's quote-unquote supposed to be used. But yes. So you can find it everywhere, all platforms, all digital platforms at least. Um, and uh, the best place to purchase it is on my website, cocopela.com. A lot of what I do as a cultural organizer is organizing the hip hop community, other artists and other cultural in, like influencers and organizers around key issues, right? So really, I do a lot of signal boosting, like, hey, yo, there's this big issue happening. None of us are talking about it in our music. Let's talk about it. Um, and whether someone uh, collaborates directly with me or they're in my community and they hear me speaking on it and they maybe felt like it wasn't relevant or they felt like it wasn't cool enough. And then they, they're like, well, this is my take, or this is my opinion on it. However, it impacts someone or they're like, wow, she's totally wrong. I, this is what I think. I don't care as long as people are engaging with life um, and attempting to create solutions and then putting out their best thinking. So with Confessions of a Black Feminist Rapper, this is my attempt at activating the hip hop community around uh, investigating and interrogating preconceived notions around what Black feminism is. I get into a lot of heated discussions with Black folks about feminism, and some folks have studied Black feminist 
thought and the black feminist thinkers of our time and are, are really familiar with it, but some folks are, um, kind of like have heard about black feminism almost through some other person or some other group of people or, or thought. And oftentimes when folks, when I communicate about it with folks who have not studied the black feminist thinkers of our time, I have encountered a lot of misunderstanding, a lot of misconceptions about what black feminism is. Right. And so Again, as I was talking earlier, when I was younger, you know, feminist was like this dirty word. And also now there's so much, um, there's a lot of assumptions about respectability politics and what does it mean when a woman says, or when a black woman says, I'm a feminist, right? And then suddenly there's all these unspoken rules of, oh, well, if you're a feminist, then you can't do this, or you can't wear that, or you can't do this with your body, or you should do this, or you should say that, or you should wear this, or you should sleep with this person or not sleep with this person. So I really wanted to tell my own story. And like I said, from this place of confessions, which is more like, look, this is who I really am. This is, these are the experiences I've been through. And it's probably different than what you're thinking when you think of a black feminist. Um, And I started with part three, because I want to tell the story backwards and I want to tell the story from the end because the end, not the end of my life, but the end of, like I say on the project, this particular chapter is a really triumphant, victorious, like elevated moment of of healing and of survival and of really like blossoming into um, who it is that I am. My offering, you know, my my work here on on the planet Earth while I'm here as a human, and there's some grimy stuff and there's some some triggering stuff and some sad and, and heartbreaking stuff that has happened in my life as a Black woman, that happened as a Black girl, challenges um, as a young adult Black woman. And so I wanted to start actually with the beauty and the power and the resilience and the survival so that I could reassure my folks who have been rocking with me, who are taking this journey with me, listening to this trilogy like, look, this is how it ends. It's it's going to end really beautifully, but we have to go back and look at these other parts of the journey and really wanting to invite other Black women in hip-hop to tell their stories too. And this is happening and has been happening in hip-hop since the beginning of hip-hop. But there's a, there's a narrative about women in hip-hop and the role we've played and the stories we've, we've gotten to tell. And there also is a reality uh, where in black women's bodies and our voices um, and our words and our stories get dictated by male narrative and male gaze. Um, and that isn't uh, the fault of black men. That That is the overall function of sexism and male domination. And then it, you know, functions in a particular way within our community. So Confessions of a Black Feminist Rapper is me wanting to be a full dynamic human being with all my flaws and, you know, my character flaws and my blind spots and my huge messy mistakes and my strengths and my power and my gifts and wanting to make more room for myself and the other black women and girls in hip hop 
to be full people. And I'll just say this last thing, something that I talk about a lot. Um, I'm working on a project with Ryan Nicole and Mad Lines. Um, and we have a project called Still I Rise, a collective called Still I Rise, and we're working on a project um, about massage noir and pimp culture in the Bay Area and in Oakland and in hip hop. And one of the things that I talk about a lot is like, we give a lot of grace in hip hop to black men, uh, just to tell their stories and to be full human beings. Like you could have addictions to substances. You could, you could struggle with, um, anger and domestic violence. And there's so much grace, um, oftentimes like, okay, this person has been through a lot of stuff. They're working through their issues. You know, they were that kind of person then, but now they're different. They've changed, they've grown, you know, now they're giving back to their community, but for women, for black women. And again, this isn't hip hop. This is the greater oppressive society that, that creates these dynamics. But for black women, there isn't a lot of grace. Um, and there's not a lot of space to be a full person. Oftentimes we're just pushed into these archetypes of like, the bitch, the hoe, the queen, the virgin, the earth mother, the conscious rapper, you know, the sexy, you know, stripper rapper, the, and all of us are way, way more dynamic than that. So confessions of a black feminist rapper is really um, about making, making room for our stories through me telling my story and beginning, like I said, with the end. And then, you know, bringing folks back through, through the other parts of the journey that are not as flattering or as, um, I don't know, like encouraging or hopeful or reassuring, but I was hoping, you know, by starting at the end, folks will know, like, it's going to end up good, but there were some hard things and some obstacles that I had to overcome. And I think the last thing I'll say, I know this is like a super long tangent, but the last thing I'll say is that, um, yeah, like there's, part of the, one of the functions or one of the ways that sexism and male domination impacts women and girls and, and femmes, you know, folks who move through the world um, with that gender expression is like, there's just so much shame around um, sex and sexuality and your body and relationships. And so it doesn't leave a lot of space for us to authentically tell our stories and talk about the things that have happened to us and the things that we have participated in and the things that we, where we've gotten lost or turned around. Um, and that's, it's, that's a, it's a missed opportunity for all of us when we don't get to invite a black woman in hip hop or a black girl in hip hop and all of her into the room and into the songs and onto the page, you know, and, and her, her full, narrative and experience and all that she is. Coco, I want to thank you for being willing to go deep and reflective in the conversation. I could continue with you for so long. I have so many questions for you. We do have to wrap up shortly. I wanted to ask you one somewhat separate question from a conversation to follow up on a conversation that we had recently. I'm wondering, um, before we wrap up, can you talk a little bit about one more role that you have in music production that we haven't touched on really today is the role of um, taking on production work. Can you talk about your role and the way that you've kind of started to to come into musical collaborations as a producer? 
Yes. I have been producing my projects since the beginning, and I think that's the case. That are independent artists who came up on the underground hip hop scene, particularly in the Bay. There was an entire renaissance that most people don't know about that was happening. Um, and I say underground just because it wasn't being broadcasted on the mainstream, but a lot of, a lot of the beat makers um, and composers, writers that you don't see that are responsible much of like Bay Area music and culture and beyond the Bay Area, really um, music in general. There's so many of those folks um, came out of this period of of like a musical renaissance in hip hop. Um, and it was a youth renaissance, hip hop renaissance. Um, and so many of us uh, produced just by way of, that's how we came into it, that you, you had to be in charge of, you had to be in charge of what you wanted your sound to be like and what you wanted the drums to be like and who, which musicians you wanted to collaborate with, um, whether it was a vocalist or a violinist or, you know, a drum player or a particular beat maker. So um, I come from that lineage. I'm so grateful for it. It's taken a long time to get my music to the place where I want it to sound. And I feel like there's a lot of growing growth growth but yeah so I just wanted to say that because it's not just me um I come from there's a whole group of folks around my age who you know we were in all these different youth music programs like YMR youth movement records and bump and um Cove house and I'm trying to think about there were just so many different um programs and all of us had to figure out how to produce our own, our own music and create our own sound, uh, whether we were making the beats or whether we were um, collaborating with multiple beat makers, so on and so forth, or, you know, playing guitar. So I, I don't know. I, I love, I, I love it. I don't know. I, I'm, it's hard to, to say. I, um I have, been really uh, blessed to get to work with so many um, really brilliant producers on the most recent project. For example, I got to work with Cal Harris, um, who's from Oakland, who's an amazing songwriter, you know, rapper, uh, beat maker. I got to work with Tyler Niccolo, who's an amazing beat maker. Um, I got to work with Marty McFly and Mike Angelo. Um, so many different folks, but I don't know if there's a specific question that I'm not answering, but I just, um, it's taken a really long time to figure out how to create this sound and how to kind of how to, how to do that while working with all these other brilliant artists, but I'm, I'm grateful for that. Coco, we are out of time and we got a transition, but I want to thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me. You are listening to Law and Disorder. I'm your host, Jesse Strauss, and this has been Resistance in Residence with this week's feature, Coco Pela. You can follow Coco and buy her music at cocopela.com. That's C-O-C-O-P-E-I-L-A.com. You've been listening to Law and Disorder, a podcast where we expose the cracks in our system, agitate for resistance, and collectively build a new world in which all of us can thrive 
That's it for this episode, family. Lawn Disorders produced at KPFA. That's listener-supported radio on the Pacifica Network. The show is produced by Jesse Strauss and hosted by me, Kat Brooks. Our theme music was composed by Steve Raskin of Fort Knox 5. Our Resistance and Residence theme music was composed by Jesse Strauss. If you like what you heard, please follow us on social media at Law and Dis. And subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. You can also find our content live at 8 a.m. weekdays on KPFA. That's 94.1 FM in the Bay Area. Our show and all KPFA's programs are funded exclusively by you, the listeners. If you're in a position to support us, please donate today at kpfa.org. Take care of yourself and take care of each other. We all we got, fam.